welcome to Vineyard KC West podcast. For more information, visit us at vineyardkcwest.com. One time when I was a when I was a teenager, I had to go into my dad's room. I lived with my dad from the time I was 11 till 18. So I was a bachelor from the time I was 11 to 18 and or actually until I married Michelle. So if you wonder what's wrong with me, that's it. You know, getting to do whatever you want starting at 11 years old. Um, Jesus has his hands full. Uh, but I went into his room, and I said, Dad. And then I said, nothing. And I said, Dad. And then he, literally, it's like he kipped. You know what that is, where you just get up from flat? And you, but he, he, he stood straight up on his bed. What, what, what's going on? I mean, he was just fully awake. And I, I was so embarrassed, I just said, you know, I, I, nothing, it's okay. But I was also intrigued. I said, this is kind of like a superpower. And so I, I tried it again to see if he could do it again. And so a week or so later, I, I went into his room and while he was sleeping. I said, Dad, Dad, what, what, what's going on? Just straight up standing on his bed. And uh, he did it again. And then I even brought my best friend once. I said, look, you got to see this, you know. <laughs> We don't have a cat, we don't have a dog, we don't have a big house, but watch what my dad can do. Just, you know, and when you're, when you're fully awake, what's amazing is, is your senses are fully engaged. Your, your senses are absolutely there, and, and that's, what, uh, that's what our passage kind of pokes us at today, is are we awake? Are we aware of what's really going around us? Are we really seeing what's going on, or are we just kind of just, uh, you know, drifting into sleep around us, not paying attention with what's going on. Uh, I recently read a tale from uh, ancient India. Four royal brothers decided each to master a special ability. Time went by and the brothers met to reveal what they had learned. I have mastered a science, said the first, by which I can take a bone of some creature and create the flesh that goes with it. I, said the second, I know how to grow that creature's skin and hair if there is flesh on its bones. The third said, I am able to create its limbs if I have the flesh, the skin, and the hair. And I, concluded the fourth, know how to give life to that creature if its form is complete. Thereupon, the brothers went into the jungle to find a bone so they could demonstrate their specialties. As fate would have it, the bone they found was a lion's. You know what's coming. Uh, one added flesh to the bone, the second grew hide and hair, uh, the third completed it with matching limbs, and the fourth gave the lion life. Do you know what's coming? Shaking its mane, the ferocious beast arose and jumped on its creators. He killed them all and vanished contentedly into the jungle. What this story speaks of is really the second commandment that God gave to Moses, which is to not create idols or not to have any other gods besides him. It speaks of idolatry, creating something that is not meant to be created in that way and, and to really worship it. I like how Jesus uh, speaks about this. In, uh, it's the New Living Translation. I like how it says it, and I like how he gives us another option. Uh, it says, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. it. So clinging to something, like holding on to something. We spoke about that during the communion. Like, I'm going to drop something. I'm going to let this go. And sometimes we break it down just to salvation. No, 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 I'm good. I prayed the prayer, right? But I'm saved and I'm being saved. And so this process of letting go, right, it's a continual thing. So if you cling to your life, you will lose it. In other words, if I try to just hold this thing and cling it, but if you give up your life for me, you will find it. 
So look at the second part there. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. So there's a letting go that we find in Jesus, and we get away from that clinging that's there. So that's good news, right? Uh, The world offers us so much. More than ever, you and I know what the world offers us. The problem is, is it's, 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 it's pretty skinny in substance, in reality. There's, there's lots of options, but the substance is, it's like the grocery store. We've got a million options at the grocery store, but very little of it actually gives us nourishment that we really need for our bodies. We have to work really hard to find stuff that really gives us nourishment. So it is spiritually in the world as well. So Jesus is really good news because he brings real substance in real life. Um, Jesus also says this, He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Anybody ever been ripped off? Right? I remember when I was was in eighth grade and my my parents were divorced and and, uh, my mom was living in Santa Barbara. I was living in San Luis Obispo and and someone broke into her home and stole the TV and all this stuff and also stole her, her wedding ring and very important to her. And, uh, and just, I just remember like the look on her face and the, just the violation that we felt. Those are physical things, but then, you know, it still hurts. But then this speaks of like even your very life, like there's a thief. And that's anything that we really put our trust in or we, we trust in besides really Jesus comes to only to steal and kill and destroy, so Jesus says, though, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Like, so fully awake life, fully senses alive life is what Jesus offers us. So um, here's a you know, real quick review. We're in Acts 17, uh, and um, we're in Acts chapter 17. And so we, we've been wandering through the book of Acts, and, uh, you know, it starts with the, the, the Acts is the unstoppable progress of the gospel of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit through his church from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, right? That's what we're looking at. And it's been going for 2,000 years. And we've watched it kind of spread from Jerusalem. We've watched them work through troubles. We've watched them, you know, go to different areas. And now we're in the stage of the book where we have Paul's missionary journeys. We're on the second missionary journey. If you want to follow along in the New Testament, like the letters to the churches there, like Thessalonians, we're in Europe right now. So if you ever wanted to go to Europe, that's where we are. We're in Europe as he's reaching out to these churches. Let's read together in Acts 17, verse 16. Uh, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him uh, to a meeting of the Oropagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So Paul goes on a vacation to Athens, okay? Uh, not really vacation, but he's just hanging out. He's waiting, right? So Athens was this amazing place. 
Just it had things that the rest of the world did not. It was the intellectual really center of the world at this time. And so think about the culture that was there. Think about the food that maybe was available. Think about the different sites and architecture. You know, if you've ever been to a place that you're just like, wow, look at all of this. And I don't want to make Paul out to be like the grumpy old grandpa or that sort of thing that just doesn't enjoy anything. But he, he experienced Athens differently than everybody else. There was all the glitz and the glamour, and yet Paul was looking for something else. And what he was looking for was he was really looking for God's glory. He was looking for the substance of God, and he was looking for uh, what God was doing in the midst. And he was looking for how people worshipped. And in the midst of that, he found that it was full of idols. And so Paul was fully awake for that, but it's because Paul understood that when he transferred over from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the Son that God loves, the kingdom of light, his kingdom our target changes. And I think that that's a thing that we struggle with a lot, maybe as Christians, because it's like we hear a lot of times, hey, look, when you die, you get to be in heaven, a good place. It's all heading good. That's absolutely part of it. But it begins now. It absolutely begins now. And so you, in the way it begins now, and people have said, well, ah, it must begin later. It begins now if you change your target. So your target now is God's glory. So what I live for, what I look for, what I want to see is God's glory. And I know it's, it's a terribly religious word, glory, but it really means like somebody's being, like what somebody's like. So you may have heard like, well, he showed up in all of his glory, right? It means what is the person really like? And so if I say that I'm about God's glory, then it means that that's what I want to see. I want things to be like if God was in the room. I want it to be like we're all at God's house. I met a new neighbor last night, and, and they moved here recently, and, and they said, oh, you got to, uh, you, you know, he, first he told me, he said, you know, hey, this, you know, the, the, the dog house is down in the basement. You got to come over. I'm like, I got it. He was talking about, like, that's his sports cave, right? And, and, he, and so he's got this sports cave with all the screens and stuff and jerseys of players. He's just excited. And, um, you know, if I go there, then I'm going to experience it as he sets it up. And so when we say we want God's glory, when we're about that, it's like we want things to be like God is here, like it is at God's house, the way things God wants them. So Paul's looking for that as he's walking around here. And uh, in verse 16, what we read was, is that he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And so because Paul is fully awake, he's, he's, he's making sure that he sees things as they are around them. He's able to feel for the kingdom. He's able to feel for God and what's going on. He's able to feel and say, this isn't right. And, you know, today you say, well, you know, people feel that. Typically what you hear if people feel for God's glory, it's like this judgmental thing. It's this, it's this moral police thing. And Paul doesn't do that. Because here's the thing, if somebody sees something differently than you and they believe something differently than you, you telling them that they're wrong does nothing. You telling them that they've missed it does nothing. Try it sometimes. I do it with my kids all the time. I'm like, that didn't help. That didn't work, right? I have all these bad dad moments where how can I do this better? But we do that with people with what they believe or the way that they live their lives or all sorts of things. It just doesn't help. It's through relationship. So you have to know what is important to people. What do people truly believe? That's what Paul goes after. 
So he doesn't go after the symptom. He goes after their heart. And that's how you'll always, if you're going to lead somebody to Jesus, you don't go after their symptoms. You don't go after the things that they do, but you go after their heart, which means that you have to truly love them and know them. And that's what Paul does. He spends time with them. So what are idols? What, what is idolatry? Well, Augustine wrote that idolatry is worshiping anything that ought to be used or using anything that is meant to be worshiped. And also God says this in Isaiah 42, verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. So if we worship that something that's supposed to be used or we use something that's supposed to be worshiped, so if I'm going to use God, that's also idolatry. In other words, because he's now in my control, I'm going to make him in my image. Now, you know, we can say, you know, I don't know, I, does this really have to do with today? Like you see in movies like Gladiator, you know, the, the, the part, he's got his, 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 um, his uh, past relatives and, 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 and then he's got, he, those are his idols, like family idols. And he, you know, he goes to them, that's how he, how he lives. And you're like, I don't do that. Well, let's try something, okay? Take out your phone. Go ahead and pull it out. Okay, nobody check their email or Facebook or anything. We're just doing something together. Okay, so you may say, you know, I don't worship my phone, Cody. Come on, it, 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 good, good point, right? I get it. But here's the thing: I would love to do my best, like Johnny Ive impression here, but I won't. But it's like from the, you know, for everything, you know, this phone or whatever phone you have, whether it's Android or or Windows or Apple or whatever, it doesn't matter. Everything about this phone, from the body like the way the body's designed, like how it feels when you hold it, to when you open it up, to the apps, to the way it speaks to you, to the tones or everything. Everything is designed to grab your attention and keep your attention. But do you know why? Because that is how everyone that makes the body of the phone, the hardware or the apps or the software, that's how they make money. It's designed to keep, grab and keep your attention. And that's why when you want to know something, you go to your phone. When you, want, when you have a spare minute, you go to your phone. Uh, many times when you wake up, you go to your phone. Before you go to your bed, you check your phone. Why? Because it has your attention. So let's maybe use attention instead of worship. Because that which has my attention is that which I give myself to. Now, just so you know, obviously, I have a phone. So I'm not, we need to get rid of the phones. But this is meant to be used. But if I make it something that I am giving so much of myself to and has all my answers, it has too much of my attention. It's becoming something else. It's, it's exiting somewhere where I'm not really wanting to go. So the idols of the nations, Psalm 135, 15 says, are silver and gold made by human hands. I worked for a, a, a computer company, and I, this came to me as I'm sitting there, and people are there, and just people rush in and buy it, and, and it's like you've got the gold one and the silver one, and, the, you know, and I'm like, oh, there we go. And it's, it, again, it's not that they're bad in themselves, but it's, when we give it so much attention, when we give it so much of ourselves and that we have to have it, it becomes, there are idols of today. And we have all sorts of other things that we could bring up, but that's really how it works. So idols ultimately have to do with creating something in our image. It's creating a God that is how we want it to be. 
So in other words, it's like this. In the beginning, Cody. In the beginning, Steve. Right? Does, does that sound like a good story? No, but it's that instead of in the beginning, God. That's the start of idolatry. In other words, any God or anything that is there, it all has to do with supporting me versus someone that I can truly know and is there. Eugene Peterson said this. He said, our lives are not puzzles to be figured out. Rather, we come to God who knows us and reveals to us the truth of our lives. The fundamental mistake is to begin with ourselves and not God. God is the center from which all life develops. If we use our ego or the center from which to plot geometry of our lives, we will live eccentrically. So Paul feels and sees in Athens, he sees what's going on. So what does he do? What is he going to do about this? So we're, what Paul does is he's fully awake and he's able to study and engage the culture for God's glory. So he doesn't circle the wagons. He's like, ugh, I got to get out of here. But he studies and he engages the culture. So it says that he reasoned with, in the synagogue with the Jews, okay? So he has a certain base to go with them. So people that know the scriptures, so is the world today. There's people that were raised like in church, in Christianity, that have walked away and rejected. So you interact with people that have that base differently because they have knowledge. But then there's also, too, those that um, are in the marketplace, that they have no idea. They have no idea of the Bible or Scripture. And You'll talk about Jesus, and it's just bringing up another name with others. And so he interacted differently with them. But he was able to to study and then engage them. And and that's our call, too, if we're fully awake. Um, uh, So there was the the Epicureans, uh, and the Epicureans were distant. Uh, They, they, you know, they had, like, the gods were distant. Uh, So the gods had no involvement or everything by chance. These are people in the marketplace. So there's people like that today. And and, and it's, it's kind of a deist mindset. Uh, in other words, there is a God, but he's kind of a great clock. Like he winded this clock that started all of this, and it's just been, it's been just, you know, now the clock is just running, and the clockmaker's like on vacation on the beach somewhere. That's kind of just, you know, but even further for the Epicureans. And then also Stoics. So a Stoic is pantheistic, so God is in everything, sure, God's everywhere, or fatalism, or submission, endurance of pain. It's just like, this is the lot in life. Life is tough, and just kind of trudging along, and just like, this is all that it is going to be. What about people in your life? You know, many times, we're pretty good about the sins that people commit. You know, like, man, they're bad, they're bad, they're, you know, that sort of thing. But then what about, uh, you know, what about, like, what do they truly believe? Like, why do they do what they do? That's important. That's absolutely important. And so I just want you to you know, think about that. What do the people around you believe? Don't worry about the things that they do. Because you know? if we are honest, some of those things are in our hearts. We may not do them, or we may not do them the same as them. And so just, just get to know, like, what do these people truly believe? That's important to ask the question. So let's pick up what uh, Paul speaks to these people in verse 22. He says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Oropagus and said, People of Athens... Uh, I see that in every way you are very religious, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very things you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven 
in the earth and does not live in temples by human hands. And he is not served and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history in the boundary of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said. We are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. So Jesus, he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Rockbogus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Okay, so Paul's fully awake, and he's able to speak for God's glory now. So, so what does he go through? What does he say here? Well, really what he's trying to get people to do is this, like this quote from Patrick Morley. He says, The turning point in our lives is when we stop seeking the God we want and start seeking the God who is. And so these people were seeking, but they weren't really able to say, you know what, God, I'm in. I'm in to you, and I'm in to who you are, and I'm in to what you say. I'm tired of fighting. I may still wrestle with you some, but I'm in. I'm, I'm giving up. I surrender. That's what he's trying to get them to do. So uh, Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Look, to the people around you, if you're fully awake and you're seeing around what's going on around you, uh, look, just share about Jesus and the resurrection. And you may say to yourself, well, people know about that. No, listen, that's the turning point here, is when he talked about the resurrection, people were like, wait, what? Wait, they sneered, and they're like, wait, for real? It's still the same today. Bring up the resurrection. Talk about Jesus. And you don't have to talk about Jesus like, I mean, you just, here's the thing. Talk about him in your life and then talk about things that he did because that's the great equalizer because nobody wants somebody talking about something that they just know about, right? They don't want you just sharing ideas. But if you come up and say, hey, look, so this morning I was talking to Jesus and this is the thing that's going on in my life. This is what he's doing. This is what he's been teaching me. That's different than, hey, let me show you a textbook. Let me show you what's here. And then also the resurrection. Talk about it. Just say, hey, here's what I believe, is that Jesus fully died. And when he did that, he did it on purpose so that he would pay for all the bad things that people do all over the earth. Mine, yours, everybody's. And I believe that nobody else has to do anything else other than trust in him because of that. And I believe that God accepted that one payment for everything. And then I believe that he was in the tomb, like in the tomb, he was buried for three days, like dead. And then he rose from the grave. And the Bible even speaks of that he rose himself from the grave in the Father. It was, it was like this thing, like he did that. So think about that. And then he took on a whole new body, and he's still alive today. He didn't just, like, rise and then 
come back and then died, but he's still alive today. I mean, chew on that with people. So that's what Paul's doing. He, he, and then he brings up, I found an altar, I, I f- even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. And the unknown God is, 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 is used like a can opener to open them up, right? Anybody ever say something to you and it just opens you up? You start talking? Um, my, Michelle will do that. She'll talk to people and all of a sudden they're sharing their life story. Because she's just a great listener. She asks great questions. You know, you've probably seen that. If you ask open-ended questions, you'll, you'll get, like, short open-ended, you'll get amazing. People will share all kinds of things with you. And you get to know them. Well, what Paul does is that he uses this idea of an unknown God. He saw an altar to one to open them up. Because the unknown God is still relevant today. The unknown God is the God of our longings. See, People can say they don't believe. People can say that they you know, don't need anything. People can say that they're totally happy. But we all, have, we all have a longing for belonging. We all have a longing for purpose. We all have a longing for love. We all have a longing for forgiveness. And that's the unknown God. And that's where he really got him and he spoke to. It was just that opening up. And then he declared what that God is like to them as he walks through that. And, and it's just brilliant what he does. Um, but then also, too, Paul proclaims that God is God. So the one he's talking about is not just one of many, but he is God, right? He's the God. And so he shares with them that God is the creator of the universe. He shares with them that God is the sustainer of life, that God is the ruler of all the nations, that God is the father of human beings, that God is the judge of the world, that he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And so Paul's fully awake and he's walking through this with them and he's sharing this information with them. And what's exciting, you guys, is, is that, look, 50 years ago, you could walk through these steps like with what Paul's doing, and it's brilliant. But everybody's like, hey, I got it. Like, they at least have that knowledge. There's still the heart issue, which is, because I can know all about God. I can know all about the Bible. But unless I bring my intention to surrender my life to him, put him in the driver's seat and me in the passenger seat, and maybe not even shotgun, like maybe I'm way in the back of the van, you know, and I'm just, I'm hanging out there. And like, I, you know, there's air conditioning isn't bad back there, you know, isn't good out there. And, and I don't even know where we're going. It doesn't matter. He's, he's, he's driving, Right. That's, that's the kind of stuff, like surrendering, surrendering to that place. And so, um, you know, fully awake. And then two, um, what we see with Paul is um, he's fully awake and able to be present for God's glory. So what, what Paul does through the chapter 18, verse 22, after this, we're not going to read it today, but what he walks through, we've got a map of where he goes. These are the different places. He hangs out in Corinth over here uh, for about 18 months, and, and, and it's just, it's a really rebellious city, and, and, but he's hanging out there for a while. You can tell by reading the books, First and Second Corinthians, and they think there's even a third letter that somehow got lost, but they, were, they needed some help. Um, and so uh, he hangs out in these different places, but he's present in these places. He's with them, and he trains up people, and he teaches. So Athens, he was really strategic, Athens. It was the intellectual center of the ancient world. Corinth uh, was a great commercial center. Uh, and then Ephesus, 
uh, you know, was really famous for his commerce. So these are the places that he hangs out at. But he, was, he, he had the ability to be present in these places. And know this, that Christian spirituality is about presence. Because in the Gospel of John, it says that, it says that um, he became flesh, that the Word, the one that created all things, became flesh. And so, in other words, he took on human flesh. He became one of us. Absolutely just this body, he took that on. And so the Word is incarnate. So carne, meat, flesh, okay? I know, we're getting pretty graphic here. But it's just, that's what he did. He became flesh. He became bone and flesh like us, incarnate, in flesh. Uh, one version says that he moved into the neighborhood. Jesus moved into the neighborhood. And so it wasn't that God transitioned the world to the beginning of his kingdom invading and, and, and making things right between God and man by sitting far off and saying, hey, you know, come to me like some guru on a hill. Come to me and, and I'll tell you the wonders of the world. But Jesus came right into real life and he was with people. And, you know, the, the, the church, anytime that we stop being incarnate, anytime we stop being present, we lose our power. Anytime that, uh, you know, the church becomes too centralized, like it's about a place or a building, we lose our power. The power of the church has always been just the, the normal, everyday person just loving Jesus and then just walking that out with other people. That's how the majority of people that stick come to know Jesus. You have the big crusades where you have you know, thousands upon thousands of people and that sort of thing. You know, a very small percentage of like, what's going on there actually sticks to real life walking out in the church. The majority is you inviting somebody or sharing with somebody or bringing somebody to Jesus. The majority of people that actually follow Jesus and live their life for him are invited by somebody to know Jesus or invited to church or invited to a small group or invited to an FPU group, invited into their life and they're just loved and then that person follows. And here's the thing. I think something like 80 to 90% of people, they've been doing studies, have said that they would go to church if somebody invited them. But here's another statistic. Only a few percent actually invite. Now, I don't know about you, but that's pretty good odds. There's very few things that I do that actually know I'm going to succeed 80% of the time. 80% of the time. And so that's how people come. But it comes through being present. Because here's the catch. You're like, man, I'm just going to, hey, you want to go? You want to go? You want to go? You know, here, here, here. Okay. No. That's the hard thing today is they have to know that you're real. So there's a check. I've got to be present with Jesus, and then I've got to be present with other people. Wait, what do you mean? I can't go surface level? Nope. People are done with it. People are like, look, I don't want, that's cool if you're doing this over here, but if it's real, I'm all about learning about it from you. I'm all about hearing that. If it's real, I'm in, in, in if, if it can really change me, I'm all about that. But if you're playing games, if you're playing religious games, I'm out. 
There's plenty of other things that I can do. And that's why it's so important that we're present with Jesus first and we're living our life with him first. So what are a few takeaways? So heart check, right? We talked about our phones, all the attention, okay? That's just an example, okay? So don't feel so bad, okay? That's just an example. It's not about the phone. But what has your attention, you guys? If something has your attention so much that it's causing stress and throwing you off and you're going to bed, you know, you're not able to sleep, okay? In a sense, that's what worship is. It's like I'm going to give my full attention to this thing. And so if you're giving your attention to too, too much, so what has your attention? That's why the discipline of fasting is good. Like you can fast from food, and when you do that, you move. Fasting is taking away from something that you do every day to make space for God. So like when you would normally eat and do that, you, you make space for God, you spend time with God. Or you can fast from media, or you could fast from your phone, or you could fast from uh, coffee or, wait, you went too far, Pastor, okay? Just, but you could fast from something, right? And when you, when you fast from something, you find out how important that thing is, how much of your attention that thing has, and then what you do is you invite God in into that, and then you recalibrate on that. The next thing is explore. So first have a heart check. Where's my attention? Next, explore. What, what has the attention of those around me? What has the attention of those around me? Do you know? Do you know what has people's attention? I, I, go, way, I go way down the road with people before I tell them anything. I ask questions. I want to know, what about this? What about this? And I'm not afraid to learn something from them, whatever their tradition is, what their religion is, whatever they believe. I'm not afraid to learn that. And I'm not afraid, just, and I don't have to tell them what I think they're wrong at. What I just, because I want to know what they truly believe. Because even if it's not true, guess what? There's the fingerprints of God in that. God's moving in whatever they're going on, and that's where you find where they're at. Because just like on a map at a mall, like you go to a mall and it says, you are here. So when you explore with people, find out where they are. And then you can say, oh, okay, I get it. And then you're able to see these parallels of how God is working in their life and how God is moving in their life. And then you could just talk to them about the wonders of Jesus and, and just show that he's there and who he is and he's the fulfillment of all things. And then the next thing is be present. It, hidden in this passage is something that's very important to us as a church is neighboring. And this verse right here is just amazing. It says, from one man... He made all the nations that should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times, so God decided when you would live, and every when every person would live. Is God amazing or what? He said, this is when Cody's going to live. And then, um, in the boundaries of their land, you know what that means? It means like what neighborhood I would live in. So who my neighbors would be. And I don't know about you, but I want to live for a purpose. Like I, I want to be present in my life. I want to, my faith in Jesus, I want it to not just be this thing that I do for a time of opening a book or praying, but I want it to just like run out into the street. 
And I, I want it to be at the, at the store and, and, and everywhere I go. I want to be present. I want the kingdom of God to break in. And the neighboring is, is, is one of the most amazing things for that. It says, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. And so don't you want your life to be marked for something? Don't you want your life to be marked for Jesus? Because your faith, like, why not just get everything out of it? My mom, when I was a kid, she had this, this uh, and she still has it, uh, and she has this, uh, this orange squeezer, and it's this old, you know, steel thing, and put the orange there, and just, and as a kid, I used to just love to just, and I would just ratchet down on that thing, and I would just get every last drop that was in that orange of juice into there. You know, and, and that's, that's how I want my, like how I go after Jesus. Like, just, I just want everything you have for me, God. Everything you have for me. And, just, and, and then let it flow in my life and out. Right? But, but everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Because what we're talking about is, is one that said, you know, if you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find it. How is that? I have to give up my life. I have to surrender to him. You're in charge of my life. My life is not my own anymore. And in that, we, we find this, this fully awake life. We find this life that's, that's to the full. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit vineyardkcwest.com. 